Welcome to Psalm Springs, a podcast dedicated to an open and hopefully inspirational discussion of the biblical book of Psalms. We come to you each week with different aspects and different views of the ancient text and how those texts might inform our lives today. Hello and welcome to this episode of Psalm Springs. I'm Rabbi David Lazar, and here we are studying one more of the Psalms, this time Psalm 23, and I'm with my very good friend, Maggie McMillan. And would you please tell us where, where are we sitting, Maggie? We are sitting in my family's funeral home, and it's in Palm Springs. We're a fifth generation family funeral home. And first of all, thank you for having me on here. I'm a big religion nut, um, and this is a particularly interesting one for me. Our family's been doing this since 1908, actually. So death and death ritual has always been a pretty big part of our family culture. Um, my history, I grew up Catholic, so that sort of informs the way that I look at ritual and biblical text. Um, but the great thing about funeral directors, one of the great things, is we're sort of all things to all people. So I can't bring my own perspective in there. Um, but that's a little bit about where we're sitting. So when you, say, when you say to all people, does that mean you do funerals for different denominations of Christianity, but other religions as well. I know you do Jewish funerals, that's how we met. Do you do Muslim funerals, Hindu funerals? Absolutely, we do any funeral. So when families walk in, they come in with their own traditions, with their own culture, and it's something where we're here to serve that family and sort of help walk them through the grief process. Occasionally we'll have someone who will come in or a family who will come in, and I just don't know what the rituals are. And there's something beautiful about telling them that, and then they explain it to you. And in explaining it to you, they sort of re-engage with their tradition. So we do funerals for every person who walks through the door. Well, I'm particularly excited about this episode because usually I'm talking to another member of the clergy, rabbi, a minister, a priest, uh, someone who has uh, studied the theology in a deep manner, and that's all really they kind of do, is, is deal with the Book of Psalms on a theological and perhaps social plane. But here today we're talking with somebody who does it in a, as a professional, true as a, as a religious, as a Catholic person, but also as a professional, and I thought that'd be an interesting uh, viewpoint to hear. So could I ask you to read the text in the translation with which you're most comfortable with? Absolutely. The King James Version is the one that I'm most comfortable with and the one that we typically use for families. So I'll just start at the beginning. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. There, I would say, are, are two basic parts of this psalm, uh, using two kinds of speakers. The first speaker is uh, speaking as if he or she was a sheep in the flock. And so all the words that are used are part of that, that allegory or that metaphor. And the second one is someone who is sitting in the house of the Lord, whatever that might be. 
It, it's interesting because this psalm has originally nothing to do with the Jewish funeral. Um, as a rabbi here in the United States for the last four years, I wouldn't imagine doing a funeral without including this psalm. But in Israel, we never use this psalm. And, um, and what I found is that it was the influence of the church from the 19th century onwards, uh, in a good, good way, a good influence that, that brought this psalm, even in Orthodox circles today in the United States, into the funeral rite. But when you look at the words, there's nothing particular here about death, death other than, although I walk in the valley of the shadow of death, and that might mean something quite different. Um, so what, how do you see a connection with death and, and funerals in this particular psalm, Maggie? That's a really good question. So part of it, when you first asked me to do this, it was hard for me to separate out because my first thought was, will we just do this at every funeral? And so the more I thought about it and the more I got into it, I realized that the only reference to death is in that fourth verse where you talk about the, sh the valley of the shadow of death. Um, to me, that language is so clear when a family walks through the door, they're in the valley. Um, and our job is sort of to help them put one foot in front of the other one and climb that mountain of grief. Um, obviously, grief looks different for every person, so there's no prescribed way of doing that. I think there's a lot of comfort to be taken in the metaphor of the shepherd. Um, and this isn't anything new, but the shepherd guides the flock, the shepherd protects the flock, the shepherd is the caretaker for the flock. And when you're going through something as drastic as grief, whether it's grief from death, grief from divorce, grief from whatever it is, you sort of feel like you need to be led sometimes. Um, you feel like having someone to tell you how to put one foot in front of the other can be helpful. So it's not just grief necessarily from death, but I'm sure you find as a, a, a clergy member and a rabbi that when people are going through tough things, even in life, they come to you and sort of are looking for direction. I think this psalm helps remind people when they're in that valley that there is a shepherd who's watching them. And even though they're going through whatever this thing is, which in my situation is typically death, and they're feeling helpless, and they're feeling like they don't know what to do without this person who died. Even, I mean, we live in Palm Springs, so we get a lot, we're so lucky, we get a lot of people who know and expect that someone's gonna pass away. So. My mom's 90. She's been on hospice care. It was a beautiful, peaceful death. That's still really hard. That's still the first day on this earth without your mom, the person who's been your caretaker, the person who's maybe been your shepherd in some ways. Um, so I think we can put a lot of our grief, and, and we sit with it together. And one thing um, I really, really appreciate about the Jewish tradition is there's such a prescribed process for what to do when someone dies. And I think some of what we need to do is just put our pants on the next morning. Um, this psalm allows us to put that grief in the hands of the shepherd or the Lord or God or whatever you, you, you call that being or presence. Um, so you're holy envy that you have right now at this moment. <laughs> An important part of any interfaith discussion is holy envy. Yep. What in the other person's tradition do we kind of wish, gee, I wish I had that. So yours is that we have in the Jewish tradition a very prescribed way of dealing with death, which shepherds us through this difficult process. 
So to expand on that, it's, it's what you do as soon as possible to, out of respect for the, the person, the deceased, to get them buried. Uh, today that's opened up into the possibility of cremation in the Jewish world as well, not as common, but becoming more and more common, done in a respectful way, but to do it as soon as possible. And then to go home and sit with family and friends and photographs and diaries and letters and and laugh and cry together for seven days and not more, sometimes less, and not more, and then to go out into the world and there's a 30-day marker in which you do certain things you don't, men traditionally don't shave for those 30 days or do musical things. And then there's a year process, 11 months in our tradition of saying the Kaddish, the memorial prayer, every year saying, for instance, this evening is my father, Reuben Lazar, is, his 11th Yortzeit, his, the time of year in which we, we commemorate his death. And I'll be going into uh, LA and saying Kaddish, the memorial prayer with my mother at synagogue tomorrow morning, um, as we try to do every year. And so um, we do have this, this shepherding process. But I'd like to share with you that in the Jewish tradition, the place where this Psalm appears the most is around the table. The Sabbath table. Interesting. It's and and that is connects to the second part of the psalm. You've set before me a table. My my cup run runneth over. Um, you know I've got these wonderful things and and seeing that plentiful that plenty that pleasurable table spread for the Sabbath as as a blessing as 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 really a a, a, a symbol of all the good things in our lives. Uh, we even have a, a, a custom based on this verse of the, the ceremony in which we say goodbye to the Sabbath. It's called Havdalah. We take a cup of wine, a twisted candle, a candle with many wicks, some spices, and, um, and when you fill up that cup of wine, you're supposed to keep filling it until it spills over. And the verse used to say, because it says my cup runneth over, I'm going to show you, I'm going to show my life. I have that much that I can afford for the there you go. <laughs> to overwork. It's very, very messy. And so um, it, it really is fascinating how one psalm can be used in, in, in very, very different ways. And it lends itself. And of course, I think that's the sign of great poetry, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I think anything that can survive you know, the test of time is very clearly a, a brilliant book of wisdom. Um, one thing I like about this is, so now in 2019, we use it frequently as a psalm for death, but I think it does represent different stages in life. And I actually didn't know about that sort of dinner table usage in the Jewish tradition. But I think if you can come back to something you do all the time, so let's say the 23rd Psalm or maybe the Kaddish, and you do it at a time when you're not totally raw. So maybe it's not a close family member of mine, but I'm going to a service for a friend's grandparent. Or maybe you're saying the Kaddish at service, but it's not for anyone that, or you're not thinking directly of anyone that you've lost recently. You're sort of practicing for that grief to come into your own life because it's going to happen to all of us. We're not immune. As long, unless you don't love anyone, then you're going to be fine. You're going to have other problems, but. Um, we're always sort of practicing and, and I think that's one of the best parts about being human is we don't get out of it unscathed and we do get scabbed emotionally and those scabs heal over and 
then you come back to something. And for some people, it's a smell, it's a song, it's a psalm, it's a prayer, whatever it is that reminds you. And you can sort of sit with that grief, but you don't have to dwell in it. You can sit with it, you can come back to it, you can remember the good things about those people, and then you can put your pants on and get up and walk out the door. And I think what we don't always do very well in 2019 is we don't hold space for people to come back and sit with that grief. So we try and do funerals very quickly, or maybe we wait a week or two, everyone comes into town, and then you leave. And then the people who are left here are left alone with an empty house, you know, their trash cans are full of food receptacles. Um, to go back to my holy envy, one thing I really like about particularly the Jewish tradition, and other religions do this, but it's just an easy one to refer to, is that it is prescribed. People are here for a certain amount of time. You sit with that grief, and then you walk out into the world. Um, and I think it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily touch directly on this psalm, but I didn't realize that there were sort of two speakers and, and that second use for the you know, big family table at a holiday or a Friday night dinner really kind of lets those things live in tension. And that's the name of the grief game, is letting those things live in tension. One moment you're laughing, the next moment you're crying, the next moment you're mad because, pick your thing, you're mad probably because the person's gone. Um, but Perfect. learning how to work with those emotions. So you would you agree to this title for this psalm? This is a tool for building spiritual resilience. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Now I should caveat, I don't know the other psalms as well. So maybe they're all good for Aren't building spiritual resilience. Aren't you lucky I only resilience. asked you to talk about That's this? That's right, exactly. Um, uh, one thing I really like about the Catholic tradition and the Jewish tradition as well is so my first introduction to this psalm was through song. So we do a responsorial song. You have a cantor up. They'll sing a verse, and then the congregation will repeat the response. Typically in the Catholic Church, it's either the response is either, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Uh, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff comfort me. So you're repeating those things over and over. So. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I'm going to be taken care of. He's going to guide me when I can't walk myself. Even when I'm in that valley, which for the purposes of this discussion is death, but that valley can be anything. You know, we're all in valleys in our lives. Um, the shadow of death could be anything. It could be the shadow of divorce. It could be the shadow of uh, trouble with your child, whatever that shadow is. But you're not going to be afraid. You're going to walk through that shadow and sort of know you're coming out on the other side. Going back to that kind of religion as practice and spiritual resilience, I think introducing that as young as you can through song, it makes it not as scary. So when you hear it at a funeral, or you hear it at a funeral for someone who's really close to you, you sort of take comfort in it, um, and you kind of wrap yourself in the, the words of that psalm and the power that you get from the shepherd. You mentioned it, you, you met this psalm first in song in church. Can I ask you to sing? Do you remember how it would go? Um, I do remember how it goes. I'm not. I'm certainly not a cantor myself. I don't know the verses, but the responsorial is, uh, The Lord is my shepherd, there is nothing I shall want. And then they'll sing a verse, uh -huh. and then you come back to that response. Well, then I will share with you two melodies that render this psalm in the different usages. So, one of them is uh, when I was in a, a student in seminary in Israel in the 70s and serving in the army, one of my army buddies in 
seminary friends, we were together, would bring me home to his family for Shabbat. And they were from a Hasidic family originally, which is why they had this custom. And they used to sing, and that says anything, you know, sad. There's nothing sad about that melody. Right? No, that's pretty happy. That was the Shabbat <laughs> melody. And then the other one that was often sometimes used at the, the last meal before the end of Shabbat where people are, are sad is the melody that I personally use in synagogue when we're doing a memorial service at, uh, on one of the holidays. And it goes on. And so that's a much sadder song, right? And so again, the music totally affects the usage mm -hmm. in, uh, in building, in helping to build that spiritual residual. Well, this has been great, Maggie, and it's always a pleasure to talk to you. I will say for our listeners that almost everything I know about the funeral process in the United States after living outside of the country for 40 years and coming back and landing here in Palm Springs and meeting you just a few weeks after I got here, Everything I know comes from you, and uh, you've been a huge, huge uh, help to me and support professionally, emotionally, and, and as a really good friend. So I really want to thank you for being here today and for hosting us here at Weefo's Mortuary Health. Absolutely. Thank you for asking me, and um, that's the goal. Our goal is to make sure that people know what we do traditionally, what we can do. Um, answering questions about death, I think, makes it a little less scary. So I'm glad we helped. Thank you. Psalm Springs is a production of Or Hamid Bar, Light of the Desert, an organization dedicated to intellectual, spiritual, and social engagement with the Jewish tradition. We're based in Palm Springs, California. And we'd like to give thanks to Madalena Garza for editing and everything else tech-like in this production. Please check us out at www.orhamidbar.org for more information. And if you'd like to sponsor a Psalm Springs episode, you can do so by going to our website. If you like what you've heard, please express it on iTunes, Apple, or Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.